Well, let's get into God's word this morning. So would you join me in prayer before we jump in? Father, we thank you that we are your people. This is your house. And as we get into your word, we recognize that it has the power to change us. But Father, that only happens when we open up our heart, our mind, and submit to you and give you permission to come in and work. So today, God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that your word would just illuminate our path. It would show us where we stand. It would show us where we need to go. And as we hear it today, Father, we would not just be hearers only, but we would be doers of the word, that we would follow you, obey you, and become the people you're calling us to be. We give you permission to speak to us today. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, can we give it up for the band and the team for leading us in worship today? Well, if you got your Bibles this morning, meet me in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14. And how many of you know we talked about Christmas for a moment, but man, Thanksgiving is just a few days away. And I know, one holiday at a time, but next Sunday we're actually going to be taking time to just actively praise and worship God and show thankfulness to the Lord. And I was thinking about this message today and what God might want to say to us today, and I just kept coming back to Thanksgiving and thankfulness. And the more I looked through Scripture, the theme was so clear. Today I want to bring you a message called Thankful in the Thick of It. Thankful in the in the thick of it. How many of you know that good times are not the only times that we should be thankful to God for his blessings in our life? It seems like for many of us, when we think about this idea or concept of thankfulness, often the first thing we think about is when things are good, when circumstances are low, when I have very little issues to deal with, life is good, and I am thankful. But one of the things I've found is that there's a whole lot of other days in my life where things aren't always perfect. And even in my moments of imperfection, of my mistakes, when life is challenging, I still got a whole lot of reasons to be thankful and give thanks unto the Lord. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, as we get close to Thanksgiving, many of you are already making your plans. I know that for many of you, you've already bought the food, the turkeys in the freezer, whatever that might look like. For others of you, maybe the only thing you've done to get ready for Thanksgiving so far is buy a pair of pants with an elastic waist. You know, I'm not sure what you're doing to plan for next week, but I know this, no matter what, most of us plan to eat on Thanksgiving. A few years ago, my mom started this new tradition in our family, and she didn't do this until I was in my early 20s, and I think the reason she started it then is because she knows she would have gotten a lot of resistance when we were younger. But we would sit down, and there's all this hot food on the table, and, you know, we're all like, you know, fork and knife in hand, ready to go, ready to dig in, because, again, it's the one day out of the year where everybody's like, I'm just going to eat until I can't stuff anything else in there. I'm just going to keep going. And we would sit down at the table, the food is hot, and before we could dig in, my mom would say, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, wait, 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 wait. Before we eat, we're going to go around the table, and everybody has to say something they are thankful for. Okay, that's good. Now, my mom was not crazy. There are others of you in this room that either you do that or you've been somewhere where they did that. But I got to be honest with you, like my brother especially and some of the other family members looked at my mom like she was crazy because, again, everybody's thinking, number one, this is the day I get to pig out. So, like, let's hop to it. The food's hot. But then there's always others of us who are sitting there at the table, and what are we thinking? We're like, oh, man, like, I don't want to open up. I didn't come to this table to have a deep and meaningful with everybody and, you know, express everything that I'm thankful for. And I I don't have a speech prepared. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I'm not quite ready for that. Maybe you just don't want to speak in that moment. But there are a couple of takeaways that I always got year after year. The first one was simply this. I noticed that most of the people at our family table, when they would start to express the things that they were thankful for, they wouldn't talk about things they were thankful for because life was perfect, 
But usually the things that they were thankful for were formed out of all of the difficult circumstances that we face in our lives. And I think there's so much truth to be found in that. Sometimes it takes difficulty and difficult circumstances in order for us to appreciate all the blessings that God has poured out into our lives. And I noticed that at the table that day, especially one year, when it seemed like we all walked around the table or, or went around the table. And as we sat there, shared these things, it was like even the people who didn't want to share were sharing, opening up, and becoming emotional because we all began to realize wow, God's been really, really good to us, and we seem to take note in the times when things are tough. And that really just stuck with me because it reminded me that every single year, whether Thanksgiving is great this year or Thanksgiving is rough this year, I got a lot to be thankful for. When you look throughout Scripture, one of the things that you see is that there are pictures of thankfulness or thanksgiving that come to us even in difficult times. And I want to really focus in on three pictures today from Scripture that will help us to kind of see this and understand that thankfulness doesn't just have to happen in good seasons. It often will come out of the difficult ones as well. And so today we're going to start in Matthew chapter 14. I was told a long time ago that if you don't know where to start in your sermon, start with Jesus. So that's where we're going to start today in Matthew 14. Matthew 14 tells us the story of Jesus miraculously multiplying the fish and the loaves. And really we know this as the feeding of the 5,000. Now, if you know this story well, you know that the Bible tells us that there's 5,000 men there, but more than likely there was a whole lot more, many more thousand people because of the women and the children. But the interesting part of this story isn't just the miracle that takes place, but the background that leads up to it. Because Scripture tells us that Jesus has been speaking, he's been teaching all day long, hours on end. So listen, if you think that we do church for a long time here at the bridge, you would have hated the ministry of Jesus. That sounded mean, huh? You would have hated, no. Jesus saved us, he redeemed us, he laid his life down for us. But these people were engaged with Jesus for hours on end. And so the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, you've been going all day long. And this teaching series that you're in right now that you started this morning and are still continuing this evening, it's great and all. But the people are getting tired. The people are getting hungry. There's no food in sight. There's not a Chick-fil-A around the corner. We need to send these people home so they can eat and rest. But if you read the whole thing in context, what you actually see is that the disciples themselves have gone through a whole lot of ministry training with Jesus, and and it was more than likely that what they were really saying was, Jesus, we're tired, and we're hungry. You've been going all day, and really, we're ready to go home and eat and get some rest. So the disciples bring this problem to Jesus, and interestingly enough, Jesus looks back at the disciples and says, oh, really? The people are hungry, are they? Well, how about this? Why don't you feed them? It was as if Jesus was saying, look, don't bring me a problem unless you have a solution as well. And so Jesus tells them that. And then the next thing you know, in the story, they're looking for food to see who has what. Now, only one of the four gospels tell us that there's a young boy who has two fish and five loaves. But in the story, we see that somehow this little boy's lunch emerges forward and Jesus is standing there with two fish and five loaves, but many, many multitudes of people standing around him. And here's what I want you to catch. When we read the Bible, we always read it in hindsight, especially once we've read the stories multiple times, because we know the end of the story. So it kind of becomes predictable what's going to happen next. But you have to recognize that in this moment in Matthew 14, Jesus is holding the two fish and the five loaves, and the disciples have no idea what he's about to do. They don't know how it's going to happen. They don't know how everybody's going to get fed. They just know that Jesus has the two fish and the five loaves. Now, again, we know about the miracle in the feeding of the 5,000, 
But I want to point out one peculiar verse that's really interesting in Matthew 14. Look at verse 19. It says that he, Jesus, directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the, the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. Notice these words. He gave thanks. And he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. So I want to share one thought from the three passages that we're going to look at this morning. And if you're taking notes, here's the first thought I want to share with you about being thankful in the thick of it. Thankful even in difficult times. Number one, give thanks even when you're in need. Give thanks even when you're in need. You know, it sounds kind of funny to think that Jesus might have been in need here in this picture and in this story. But the picture in Matthew 14 shows Jesus holding two fish, five loaves, when there are at least 5,000 men represented there. And I think that this picture kind of begs the question, was Jesus really in need? Didn't he know what was going to happen next? See, I believe that Jesus absolutely knew what was going to happen next in the miracle that was going to take place. But notice that before the miracle takes place, Jesus stands in a position of need, identifying with us in our moments of lack. And see, Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews, we we don't know who wrote Hebrews for sure, but the writer says that we shouldn't fix our eyes, or excuse me, we should fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. There are other translations that say this differently, and I love how they put it. They don't say author and finisher. They say founder and perfecter of our faith. In other words, the way that Jesus went about a relationship with God, the way that he walked out his faith in the Father is an example. It shows an example to us of how we should walk out our faith relationship with God as well. Jesus, our example, he modeled for us what a life of faith looks like. And in this picture, Jesus exemplifies faith by giving thanks before he has received the final provision. Now imagine how crazy this moment might have seemed to the disciples. Jesus, you're giving thanks. Why are you thanking God for so little food when there are so many people? It wouldn't have made sense probably to you and I either if we had been standing there with the disciples that day. And again, I think it's in this moment that Jesus gives us one of the greatest life lessons about thankfulness. What if the key to receiving what I don't have is my willingness to be thankful for what I do have? What if the key to receiving what I lack is my willingness to thank God for what I already possess? You see, the disciples didn't exactly know what Jesus was about to do or how he was about to do it. They just knew that what they had was not enough to feed a multitude. And as they stood there in their question and concern, Jesus taught them an important lesson of faith. Don't give thought to what you don't have. Give thanks for what you do have and watch God provide creatively. Watch God provide creatively. What if... What if thankfulness for what I do have is the key to unlocking the things that I don't yet have that God wants to provide for me? Can I be thankful for what I do have? This bike, they brought it out on the stage a little bit earlier, and you're probably looking at it wondering, like, why is this bike even out here? There was a time that this bike was brand new and it was clean. It didn't have any rust in any of the little parts of it. And that was actually about 12 years ago, 11 years ago when that happened. 
Ashley and I had first gotten married, and you know how it is, married people. Like, before you get married, you look at your budget, and you're like, hey, we got this. We're going to be just fine. And then, you know, you start to go through life, and you realize wasn't as much left over as I thought there would be. And then you do that for a couple months, and then you do it for a couple more months, and pretty soon you're looking around thinking, where did all the money go? Because see, she had a car payment when we got married. I had a car payment when we got married. And pretty soon we began to realize we can't afford these two car payments. Well, I had more equity in my car, so I decided that I'm going to sell my car. We'll share one car. But then it created this problem. How, how, how am I going to get to work every day? Well, fortunately, I only lived about two miles from where I worked. So when I sold my car, we put the money in the bank, and I took out a few bucks, and we went down to the bike shop, and I picked up this bike. And I rode it to work for two years, two miles on the way and two miles home. Now, we lived in Costa Mesa. Usually the weather was spectacular. It was always great for the most part. But then there was the winter and the fall and the early spring, and sometimes it would be cold in the morning. It would be windy in the evening. And if we went through a rainy season, things got difficult. I remember literally getting to work, sitting down in my cubicle with just wet pants some days when it would rain. I remember riding home when it was fine in the morning, but then getting home and I'm soaked. And Ashley would look at me like, are you okay? And it's really interesting because I look back in that time of my life and there were days that I would ride my bike to work in the rain or ride home in the rain and I would just get so frustrated thinking like, God, when am I going to get to have a car again? When am I going to be able to afford that again? Because right now I'm kind of tired of riding the bike to work every day. But then there were the good days. There were the days where the weather was good and I would be riding it on the road and I'm thinking to myself, man, this is great. You know what? Actually, this isn't so bad. I, I can do this. It gets me to work. I don't have to pay for gas. I don't have to pay for insurance. I don't have to make the car payment. Like, th this is good. But then it would rain again. And those are the days of frustration where it's like, God, when is this going to change? When are we going to come out of this season? I knew it wasn't going to be forever, but I was ready for that season to be over. And then pretty soon somebody came along and they said, Zach, guess what? I got a car for you. And that was such good news to me at the time because, see, I used to, I was getting my first opportunities to preach in the church that Ashley and I met in. And there were Sunday nights, Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, I would be preaching in church, doing my best, giving up my all. It was like my training ground for ministry. And I would just be so fired up, put it all out there, wake up on Monday morning exhausted, riding down Harbor Boulevard and see my friends that I preached to the night before honking their horn saying, what's up, Zach? While they were about to get on the 405 and go to work. Tired of this bike, tired of this bike. But again, somebody finally came along and said, Zach, I got a car that you can use. Just take it. Like my husband, he can't use it right now. He's not going to have it for as long as you need it. It wasn't anything fancy. It was not anything to write home about. It was nothing to like brag on. It was an old 1997 Ford Taurus. It was silver and we called it Phil. <laughs> nothing fancy, but guess what? It had a roof. And the the tires, they were okay. And the heating and the air conditioning, it worked just fine. And I remember when that crappy car came into my life, I was so thankful because it was a whole lot better than the bike I was riding to work every day. Now, I got good news for you, my friends. I don't have to use a borrowed car anymore. The truck that I drive belongs to me. <laughs> it's a few years old, but it's mine. It's paid off. I don't owe anything on it. And I'm grateful for that. But there are some days I walk through my garage and I see the clutter that my kids create on a daily basis and the mess that's out there. And sometimes I'll walk by this bike. It needs new tubes in here. It's kind of rusty here. It's pretty dirty. 
Sometimes I'm like, man, it's just time to sell that thing. But then there's other days that I walk by and I look at it and I remember. It was a time that was all I had. That was the only way I was getting to work and getting home from work. And look back and it serves as this perfect reminder that there are moments and seasons in my life where I need to stop and thank God for what I do have while I'm waiting for him to bring me the thing that I don't yet have. I'm taking a lot of time in this point, but I want to say this to everybody. This thing sitting in my garage, it's kind of become clutter now. What are the things that are sitting in your house right now that are becoming clutter in your life that should serve as a reminder of God's faithfulness in past seasons? Have you forgotten what he's done for you in the past? Are you still thankful for the thing that's sitting on your shelf? Because there was a time that that was the only thing you had. He got you through that season. He got you to the next season. And if God was faithful then, we can put our trust in him to be faithful tomorrow as well. Amen. Now, in all seriousness, if anybody wants this bike, I'm more than happy to let you have it. So just throwing it out there. I don't need it for another service now. So hey, come and talk to me afterwards. We'll figure it out. Give thanks to God even in moments of need. All right, here's the next thing I want to look to. I want to go to the Old Testament. Two more passages of Scripture. I'm going to do my best to move quickly this morning. Go with me to Daniel chapter 6. Old Testament book of Daniel. Man, Daniel was an amazing guy, lived an amazing life, but the context of his life is what was so interesting because Daniel, when he was young, was exiled out of Judah, taken into Babylon in captivity because they essentially, Judah became prisoners to the Babylonians. So he, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and others were taken into Babylon, and because he was educated for the most part at a young age, he came and received further education in Babylon, and he was sharp, and he was really admired by people in authority and leadership. So his life was incredible because Daniel did significant things throughout the book of Daniel under four different Babylonian kings. Really interesting life. But most notable in Daniel's life is the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And you have to understand that Daniel has served King Nebuchadnezzar and then one or two other kings, but here in the middle of the story, there's King Darius or King Darius. And Darius loved Daniel because Daniel was sharp, he had visions, he got revelations from God, he interpreted dreams, he was a great leader. I mean, he was everything that you would want in a second or third person in command. So he loved Daniel. And what's cool about this story is that Daniel rises up in leadership, and the Bible literally puts it this way. If you read it in the King James, it says that King Darius appointed three presidents, that's literally the word in the King James, underneath himself. And one of them is Daniel. And then underneath those three presidents are 120 princes, it says. They weren't royalty, but they were appointed people in leadership that served under Daniel and these two other presidents. Well, Daniel had such favor with King Darius that pretty soon the 120 princes, or satraps is another word that's used to describe them in the Old Testament, they become so jealous and so envious of Daniel's favor before the king that they go to the king and they say, we, we want to create this new ordinance, a new law, if you will. And we want to make this law that if anybody prays or brings a petition to a god or anybody else other than you, king, they'll be thrown into a lion's den. Now, again, many of us know this story, but you have to understand that Scripture literally tells us that these satraps or princes go looking for fault with Daniel and they can find none. That's who Daniel was. That's the kind of character that he had. But Scripture says that Daniel prayed three times a day to the Lord facing Jerusalem. In fact, he would open up the window so he could face Jerusalem. 
And so they make this ordinance, and King Darius says, cool, no problem. He signs the ordinance. It becomes law. But the whole time, it's a trap for Daniel. And I want to pick up the story here in Daniel 6. Look at verse 10. It says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, in other words, this is now an actual law that's been signed into existence, Daniel went home. And what did he do? In his upper room, with his windows open, toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, and he prayed and did what? Gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. When it says since early days, that means that he did this from the time that he was a young man in Judah, and he continued to do it while he was exiled in Babylon. If you're taking notes, first of all, we said that we need to be thankful even in times of need. Here's the second thing. We need to give thanks even when we are in trouble. We need to give thanks even when we're in trouble. I think we all know what it's like to find ourselves in trouble that we have gotten ourselves into. But what do you do when trouble comes looking for you the way that trouble came looking for Daniel? What do you do when you find, when you find yourself in trouble that you did not create? In Daniel 6, Daniel finds himself in trouble that he didn't create by himself. The scripture goes on to tell us that after Daniel is caught praying to the Lord, he's arrested because he's broken this law, and the penalty is to be thrown again into this lion's den. But we need to stop right here, and I want to ask a very important question. Why was Daniel really in trouble? Was it because he's broken the law concerning his prayers? Is that really the reason why he's in trouble? I think the answer here is that Daniel was actually in trouble, not because of his praying. He was in trouble because the princes or satraps were jealous of his favor before the king. So these princes and these satraps, they used Daniel's prayer as a trap for him to be arrested and eventually thrown into a lion's den. And here's the thought that I really want to drive home. When trouble is the trap, thankfulness is the escape. When trouble is the trap, thankfulness is the escape. Now, here's the thing. Daniel made this his habit, his custom, to pray three times a day facing Jerusalem. And you see it throughout the book of Daniel. And if anybody that takes time to meditate on the word of the Lord, one of the things that happens is the word of God gets into our heart and it gets into our heads. And suddenly we know how to meditate on it. We know how to go back and repeat it and confess it as if it's our own. And I'm reminded when I read through the story of Daniel of Psalm 91 because David wrote this psalm and he said some very interesting things. And it makes me wonder if Daniel knew this and meditated on it. It says in Psalm 91 verse 1, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It speaks of God's protection. Then I will say of the Lord that he is my refuge and he is my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. But watch this in verse 9. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. But watch this in verse 13. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. 
See, I think that when Daniel found himself in a situation that he didn't create, he could go back to the word of God and recognize that the promises of God are true. The Lord is my refuge. I will not abandon him and he will not abandon me. And my God will deliver me from anything that anybody brings my way to put me in trouble. I want to say that as a reminder to every person that might be facing some sort of trouble today that you didn't create. Make the Lord your God your refuge and he will protect you. I think that was the faith of Daniel when he faced down this difficult situation and trouble that he didn't create. If you go on in the book of Daniel, it says there at the end of that verse, it's so fascinating, at the end of verse 10, that he gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. Can I just say to everybody, if we will make it a habit to give thanks to God when things are good, it becomes that much easier to give thanks to God even when things get bad. This has become my custom. And my customs are not going to be changed by my circumstances. Instead, I'm going to allow my faith to speak to my circumstances and say, my God has always been good. He's always been faithful. So I will be faithful in return. Make spending time with God and making him your refuge, giving thanks in prayer. Make that your custom. Make that your habit in good times. And it will sustain you even in the bad times. Amen? All right. Last passage of scripture in the little bit of time that we have left this morning. I want to look at the book of Jonah and the story of Jonah in Jonah chapter 2. You know, Jonah, the book of Jonah is so interesting, and we could go on and on and on about the way that, you know, Bible scholars interpret the book of Jonah. But you have three or four chapters that tell the story of Jonah, and then you have chapter 2, which is like Jonah just praying and crying out to God. Jonah is called by God to go to a city called Nineveh, and when God tells Jonah to go there, Jonah's response is, nah, I think I'm good. I don't want to go to Nineveh. I don't like the food. I don't like the people. I don't like the culture. I don't like the spirit there. There's so many things about Nineveh that I just don't like. I'm at a stage in life where I'd rather go somewhere else. The grass seems to be greener over in this place called Tarshish. So what does Jonah do? He says, I ain't going to Nineveh, God. I'm going to make my way over to Tarshish. So Jonah boards a boat to go to Tarshish because his plans are apparently better than God's. But listen, can I just give you guys, if you're starting out in the Bible, anytime you see somebody get on a boat, the first instinct that you're going to have over time is to say, don't get on that boat, don't get on that boat, don't get on that boat. Because bad things happen in the Bible when people get on boats. I don't know why, it just seems to happen. So Jonah gets on the boat, and he starts to make his way to Tarshish. And pretty soon, while the weather has been nice and peaceful, here comes the storm, here comes the rain, here comes the winds, and the rest of the crew on the boat is looking at Jonah and saying, what is going on? Everything was cool until you got on our boat, Jonah. And so what do they do? They begin to cast lots. It's like they were playing a game, drawing straws, if you will, to see who got the short straw, because whoever gets the short straw must be the person who has brought this curse upon the people on this boat. And so sure enough, Jonah draws the short straw, and they all recognize, it must be you, Jonah. And so Jonah says, it's me, it's me. I've rebelled against God. I haven't been obedient. And then he tells them, he says, throw me overboard. That's what I get for being disobedient to God. And they continue to try to row forward, Scripture says, to get to safety, to find dry ground somewhere. But it doesn't happen. Nothing changes. And so pretty soon, what do they do? It's like heave, ho, and in you go. Jonah is thrown into the water. He's sinking deeper, and he's probably accepting the fact that this is his fate for his disobedience. This is it. It's over. I'm going down. And it's in that moment that the craziest thing happens where the great fish, the Bible says, comes and scoops Jonah up and swallows him up. And what's even crazier is that Jonah lives in the belly of the great fish 
for three days. I don't get it. I don't know how. It doesn't make sense. But somehow, that's what God ordained. Now, what's even crazier than that is that Jonah, while he's in the belly of the great fish, starts to pray to God, believing that God will still hear him. And that's the entire chapter 2 of the book of Jonah. And this is where I want to pick up the story. Look at verse 1 of Jonah 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, or hell, I cried, and you heard my voice. And watch this in verse 9. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving, or thankfulness. What did Jonah have to be thankful for right here? He's in the belly of a great fish down deep in the ocean. I'll sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving, and I will pay what I have vowed. And then finally he says this great line, for salvation is of the Lord. I wish I had like 10 or 15 minutes just to spend in the story of Jonah alone, but the third thought I want to give you is simply this before we close. Number three, first of all, we said give thanks when you're in need, give thanks when you're in trouble, but give thanks in times of peril. This word peril is different than trouble. It literally means when doom or death or the end is imminent. For Jonah in this moment, I imagine that he thought death, the end, is imminent. I'm not just deep down in the sea, but I'm deep down in the sea in the belly of a great fish. He's crying out to God. And I think about this moment, and what's so interesting about it is that if you just push pause in Jonah's story and go back to Jesus, where we started, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus was talking to some religious leaders one day, and and they wanted Jesus to perform a sign, do a miracle to prove yourself to us. And Jesus talked about their faithlessness, and he said that they're worse off than the faithless people of Nineveh, this place that Jonah had rejected. But then Jesus goes on and he invokes the name of Jonah. And he said, in the same way that Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days, so will the Son of Man be in the earth for three days. Interesting, he invokes the name of Jonah right here. And in closing this morning, here's what I want to get across to you. Jonah, when he's crying out to God in this this passage right here, he says, salvation is of the Lord. Now, we were talking about Jesus. Can anybody tell me, what is the Hebrew name for Jesus? Yeshua. Yeshua. When you go back and look here in the original writings in the Old Testament in Jonah chapter 2, when it says salvation is of the Lord, what is the Hebrew word for salvation? Yeshua. So while Jesus invokes the name of Jonah in the New Testament, Jonah invokes the name of Jesus in the Old. While he's in the belly of the great fish. Do you know what this says to me? This says to me, it doesn't matter if I find myself in the deepest, darkest, loneliest of situations. If I am in Christ, even when I think that death is imminent, there is a glorious resurrection that is coming my way in the near future. If I will hold on to hope and faith in Jesus Christ. And I love that beautiful picture of Jonah and Jesus. Jesus and Jonah, because scripture is always so intentional. You might feel today like you've been living in the belly of a beast for three days, three years, maybe even three decades. But if you are in Christ, your salvation is at hand.
Because our God is great at taking situations that seem perilous, where certain death is near, and bringing about glorious resurrections. Scripture tells us that after God heard Jonah's prayer, he spoke to the great fish. I mean, wrap your head around that. God spoke to the great fish. I didn't even know that God spoke fish, but somehow the fish understood what God said. God speaks to the great fish and that the fish literally, this is literally in the scripture, the fish vomited Jonah onto dry ground. Again, you might feel like you're the one who's been rebellious. You've been abandoned at sea. You faced out death and you came out covered in vomit. But I'm here to tell you today that our God is the God who brings dead things back to life, who brings new opportunity out of old failures, who brings new seasons out of bad circumstances. So even if things look bleak, use the breath that you have in your lungs, just like Jonah in the belly of the great fish, and give thanks to God and see him breathe new life into the dead situation that you might find yourself in this morning. I wanna tell you, my friends, there's always something to be thankful for. If you're in need this morning, give thanks for what you do have and watch God creatively provide what you don't yet have. If you're in trouble this morning, our God is not afraid of the things that might make you fearful today. He wants to meet you right where you are and he wants to walk you through this troubling season that you're in. Things might feel dead, might feel desperate, might feel perilous today. But the Lord wants you to know today, don't give up on hope. He hasn't given up on you, so don't give up on him. If there's breath in your lungs, find a reason to thank him until he opens up a new season and a new life and a new door of opportunity in front of you. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? We just have a few moments left in service today, and we say this pretty much every week here at the bridge, but this is an important moment. That's why we just ask for everybody to be honoring and respectful of those around you talked about Jesus a moment ago, Jesus and Jonah. Doesn't matter where you're at, what's going on in your life, if you have Jesus at the center of your life, hope is never lost. If you're in Christ, even dead situations can come back to life. But I want to ask you this question this morning. What have you done with Jesus? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and there's nobody, nobody that comes to Father God except through me. See, Jesus is the door. All of us have that God-shaped void on the inside of us, in our hearts, and the only way we can come back into that relationship with God so that he can fill that void is by saying yes to Jesus. He is the door. What have you done with Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you've never come into a relationship with God because you've never said yes to Jesus. You like the idea of a relationship with God. You like the idea of God being active in your life, but you've never said yes to Jesus. I want to tell you again, there's only one way and one door to come into relationship with God, and that is by saying yes to Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, the sinless Lamb of God, the one who came and took our punishment on his back for our sins, who died the death that we deserve for our sins, the one who didn't just die but was raised from the dead, conquering death and hell in the grave so that we could have new life too. That Jesus What have you done with him? If you've said no in the past, can I tell you there's never been a better day to say yes than today? And I want to invite every single person in the house to wrap your heart around a prayer that we're going to pray in a moment and accept Jesus into your life and walk back into a relationship with God. It's not about magic words. You don't even have to repeat my words. But I want to encourage you right now to take these words and make them your own. Find words of your own to commit your life to Christ today. Come home.
come home. Come home. Come back into the family of God today. Father's waiting with open arms. Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross for me. I believe that your death was full payment for my sin. I believe because of that death, I can walk away forgiven, redeemed, and whole. The beauty, Lord, is I believe that you didn't just die for me. I believe that three days later, you were raised from the dead so that I could have new life. Today, I put my hope and my faith in everything that you've done for me, and I declare that I want to follow you all the days of my life until the day comes that I get to see you face to face in eternity. Be the Lord of my life. I receive you as Savior. I want to follow you all the days of my life. I put my trust in you today. Thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, listen, we're going to be done in just a few minutes, but let's be respectful and honoring of those people that made those decisions today, okay? If that's you, if you made a decision to follow Christ, we want to help you. We want to help you take your next step in this journey of faith. Right after service, we're going to have some prayer teams. They're going to be right down here near the front of the platform. Just walk up to one of those teams because we want to give you something to help you start that journey of faith. It's a simple book called The Next Seven Days. You can get it from one of our prayer teams. You might be here today and all you need is just someone to pray with you for something you're going through. That's why our prayer teams are here. Please come up and see them. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, just stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors before you exit the building. We would love to help you start your journey of faith. Hey, this is a big day and that is a very important decision and it's one that we honor and we celebrate today. Bridge family, can we put our hands together and welcome people to God's family today? Okay, very last thing in service. We always tell you guys how thankful we are for your generosity, for your giving, the way that you put God first by bringing your tithes and your offerings. We know throughout the last few weeks, we've really laid out a lot of opportunity around the holidays for you to be even more generous than that and get involved. And I wanna say thank you for your generosity. Thank you for honoring God with your tithes and your offerings, but also for the way that you guys participate in our Thanksgiving food drive. Today's the final day of receiving food here at the church for our Thanksgiving food drive. And we're so, so thankful for your willingness to give and and to donate and to be a part of our food drive. Distribution will happen last year and we've seen the number and the need just go way up over these last few weeks and months. And so we're grateful for getting to partner with you and your generosity. Not only that, we've told you about our holiday initiative already with our partnership with Gifts of Joy. And if you haven't heard about that yet, we invite you to come by the community care table right after service to find out more info about that. In fact, next Sunday is the last Sunday to bring your toys for that toy drive. So if you haven't participated yet or you wanna know when the deadline is, you can come see our team at the table. We would love to give you more info. But listen, we really wanna do our best just to make a difference in the lives of people around the holiday season. And this is our opportunity just to say thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity. If you came this morning and you were ready to give your tithes and your offerings, there's ways on the screens that you can do that digitally. If you want to give in person today, there are envelopes on your seat backs where you can just fill it out and you can take it to one of our giving stations right before you exit the auditorium on either side of the exit. There's also one outside near the kids' first time check-in area. But we're so thankful for your giving and for your generosity because we recognize we are only able to do what we do because of your faithfulness. And when we are faithful, God always honors that. So God bless you and thank you so very much. Hey, we hope you've enjoyed being in church today. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday and an awesome week.